Greetings friends and neighbors, and welcome to episode 28 of the Community Solutions Podcast, coming to you from the students, faculty, staff, and community partners affiliated with the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the Indiana University Fairbanks School of Public Health in Indianapolis. I am Jack Terman Jr., your host for the podcast and a member of the faculty in this great department. Today, our students Lily and Rebecca discuss Bowling Alone by Dr. Robert Putnam, a professor of public policy at Harvard University. This book takes a look at the growing disconnectedness in American society and emphasizes the importance of social networks for our individual and collective well-being. Our connectedness to others provides us with emotional support and opportunities for growth and fulfillment. This podcast episode explores the role of religious and non-religious social groups, the role of geography, living in a rural versus urban environment, generational differences, and the role of technology, all in relation to connecting with others. It's critical to remember that being socially connected and civic engagement are foundational to our society. This conversation prompts us to reflect how much time we dedicate to these fundamental behaviors. I would challenge you to think about meeting up with a friend and having a nice, meaningful conversation about this, and then setting some goals together that prioritize your needs to connect with each other and participate in civic engagement activities they're going to advance your community. Take care and let's join the conversation. everyone, my name is Lily Kirkchiska. And my name is Rebecca Witzig. And we are here to talk about the book entitled Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community by Robert Putnam. Robert Putnam is a professor of public policy at Harvard University, and he contributed to the development of the two-level game theory, which states that intentional agreements are only made successfully when there are domestic benefits to be gained. Throughout his career, he has advanced um, the study of social capital. And you may be wondering why this book earned the title Bowling Alone, but Putnam used it as an analogy for what is happening in American society today. Although the amount of individuals who bowl has grown in the last two decades, the actual number of people who participate in bowling leagues has declined. So this means that people are bowling in solitude and they are missing out on social interaction and civic discussion that can be fostered in a league setting. So now let's talk about, about the key points in this book. First we'll touch on social capital and then the factors that affected it through the years and the ones that currently affect it. We'll insert some of our thoughts and feedback as we review these issues. So first about social capital, this is the main theme of the book. Putnam's book centers around the concept which is based on the idea that social networks have value. So what value do you think that entitles? 
Um, what comes to my mind is the amount of social support that one has, whether that be in their personal life or their work life. Uh, connections that a person has with various individuals, it moves them forward and it opens different opportunities. Uh, it also gives that uh, people have a sense of belonging, uh, which can be crucial to their overall well-being and their functioning. So to me, social capital does seem to be an important factor in society. Social support and social networks, so that's part of social capital. And Putnam continues to develop that, um, stating that social capital refers to connections among individuals, social networks, and the norms of reciprocity, trustworthiness that arise from them. In our day and age, uh, what does social connectedness mean, and how do you think that that has changed over time? For me, connectedness is a term that one could personally de define based on the social connections they have with peers. Connectedness can vary by number of connections, relationships, characteristics, um, as how deep of a connection one has, the amount of trust that could be, um, is also a factor in connectedness. In my opinion, technology has changed the meaning of connectedness. Before, social connectedness uh, could have meant more of an in-person relationship rather than social media friends. The definition of connectedness has evolved with times. So when it comes to social capital, there are both physical and human capital, as well as the distinction between private and public aspects, where individuals benefit from having a network, but others as a whole also benefit from connected communities. Uh, in looking at your own life, how would you measure your social capital? Do you find that, that this social capital helps you in day-to-day? -day? It definitely helps me day-to-day. -day. Social capital provides support and the feeling of belonging in a community. One of the many benefits of social capital is that it can be used to bridge social divides, such as familiarizing oneself with an outgroup, which can decrease prejudice. Another benefit of social capital is that it will reinforce the bonds of a like-minded group by increasing solidarity. Uh, what are some ways you are seeing this in real life? Well, in my job, I work with a diverse population in which the outgroup or minority or marginalized group is disproportionately affected in a negative light. Uh, I do not belong as an insider to these groups, but it is really important and crucial that I rely upon other connections, relationships, and likeness of mind to bring us together uh, to address a common goal. So without social capital, I would be much, much less effective in my role and less familiar with their situation as well. Now that we define social capital based on the book that we read, um, there are some aspects that affect social capital and how does religion and social capital related. Religious participation is a key contributor to social capital and community engagement. Half of all association memberships in the United States are church related. Half of all personal philanthropy and religious is religious in nature and half of all volunteering occurs in a religious context. Individuals who are religious have increased social capital because they know more people. However, the trends for church membership and attendance has continued to decline. And here's a quote from the book. Uh, the result is that the country is becoming ever more clearly divided into two groups, the devoutly observant and the entirely unchurched. 
This is the so sociological sub substratum that underlines the much discussed culture wars of recent, recent years. Putnam later goes on to talk about these uh, machers and schmoozers. Um, so he highlights informal social connections as a valid factor of social capital. He identifies two groups of social capital contributors using Yiddish terms, machers, um, individuals who invest lots of time to formal organizations, and schmoozers, who are people who spend lots of time in informal conversation and events. The machers tend to follow current events and attend meetings, participate in clubs, give to charity, stay current through news, etc. Um, these people tend to have higher education and incomes and are more likely to be married and long-term residents and homeowners. On the other hand, schmoozers tend to, be, to host people. They tend to hang out with friends by having informal gatherings, going to bars, and things like that. So these individuals tend to be younger, more transient, and tend to be women. Um, so, do you happen to see this to be true in people that you know? Um, this is a very interesting social characteristics divide. I do not see this. Uh, I do see this actually with people I know. However, I don't see it as cle clearly divided. Um, these days, I think our generations, um, our generation is the highest um, educa educated generation. Yet, home ownership and marriage, for example, are not such high priorities as in previous generations. I think this concept is also uh, one that is changing with times, and it will be interesting to see, um, to see it further analyzed by social scientists. Uh, next, we will discuss a section more about urbanization and social capital. Uh, the amount of time spent with other people in general is on the decline, which is partly due to the density of social networks being lower in cities and being higher in rural areas. So think about how many people in cities know their neighbors, and that will um, prove this point. Mobility and sprawl are factors that may influence social capital. So residential stability is strongly associated with civic engagement because people care about what is happening in the area they live and they see themselves living there for a while. So ownership tends to change that. Um, but on the other hand, those who have recently moved into the area, they are less likely to vote or have supportive networks of friends and neighbors or belong to civic organizations or attend church or volunteer, etc. It may be argued that, um, on the other hand, there is rising mobility and that that may be causing the decline in civic engagement. But actually, mobility has actually declined in the last 50 years. Uh, the data suggests that exclusive homogenous communities such as like gated communities are uh, not really involved civically and some theories suggest that this may be because everything is the same and there's really nothing to get upset about or motivate motivated about changing in those communities and then another quote from the book uh, consider uh, whether you agree or disagree with the following quote it is about economic prosperity People who grow up in well-to-do families with economically valuable social ties are more, more likely to succeed in the economic marketplace, not merely because they tend to be richer or better educated, but also because they can and will apply their connections. Um, conversely, individuals who grow up in socially isolated rural and inner city areas, areas are held back not merely because they tend to be financially and educationally deprived, 
but also because they're relatively poor in social ties that can provide the hand up. Do you agree with this? Well, it is a rather strong statement, um, but I feel like it does make sense when you when you think about it. Um, I feel oftentimes people assume that if people have wealth, it is uh, their wealth that gets them further in life, but a deeper understanding of how they process and use their social capital appears to give a better answer than the one I think we just tend to gravitate towards. Uh, this next section kind of talks about charity and volunteering. So as Putnam delves further into his study, he finds that people who are involved in social groups are more likely to give money and volunteer to charities. Many times it is assumed that those who have ample amounts of money are more likely to give it all away. But do the wealthy uh, give more than the poor? Uh, the wealthy give more in total numbers, but actually not as a percentage of their own wealth. Uh, does this happen to surprise you or tell me what you think about it? Well, it is not actually very surprising. Uh, first, being involved in social groups can create a feeling of responsibility to help others. Being social and around people can bring up emotional attachment um, to a cause or a group of people that can influence charitableness. Second, wealthy individuals have the means to donate to charities. However, the amount which they donate is not proportionate to their wealth. Um, that is kind of interesting, uh, yet it's not very surprising either, because I think even though the proportion is less, the act of donating to charities and helping out in community uh, could be enough for someone to feel helpful and charitable, regardless of the amount. And then one of the main um, crooks of social capital is generalized reciprocity as a golden rule. General, generalized reciprocity is generally being able to trust people which improves health and reduces stress. It might not surprise you to find that um, the perceptions of honesty and morality have been on the decline from the 1950s to the 1990s. Uh, Putnam further distinguishes thick trust between close friends and thin crust, uh, thin trust between generalized reciprocity. Putnam states uh, people under 45 are twice as likely to screen calls as those over 65 who are more trusting, more civically inclined, um, spe specifically, one might respond that technological development enabled all of these changes, but those technologies themselves were surely a response to the market demand. Uh, where do you see this in your personal life? Does it matter where you live? Does it matter who you work for? In general, I tend to believe and see that the older generations have a greater generalized reciprocity. They appear to have more faith in people as a whole and trust that the right thing will prevail. Perhaps this is wisdom or perhaps it could be just being, um, quote, out of touch. Uh, maybe ignorance is bliss, uh, but it does contribute to a more psychologically sound environment. Um, as part of a younger generation myself, I do see my peers being more skeptical of larger institutions, which I do see kind of pushed by the media. Uh, maybe we see a clearer picture of reality, but it also fosters like a distrust that is detrimental to social capital. I also think it may be easier to have thin trust in a moral, more rural setting than an urban if working for maybe more of a small business rather than a large corporation. 
if we have established that social capital is rather on the decline, how can we move things in the opposite direction? One way is to emphasize social movement activism, as suggested by Putnam. Uh, what has activism, activism looked like throughout the years? Are the younger generations too young to have been involved in the civil rights movement? Um, but do you perceive that as a, even being an impact on social justice activism? Social movement activism is a very interesting concept. The book discusses the decline of social movement activism in the 90s and 2000s. However, as um, we have seen in the more recent years, um, the movement has actually increased, um, in my opinion. I think part of it is generational and part could be contributed to the unwillingness for, um, of the younger generation to maintain the um, status quo. Just social activism creates social capital and as like minds uh, form groups and relationships, this can definitely contribute to connectedness and more social awareness and activism. And then another aspect um, that also contributes to social um, capital and affects social capital is technology and social media. Uh, while up to this point, technology has been attributed to assisting in the decline of social capital and connectedness, it can also be used to strategically increase social capital. Think about the earlier years of using the phone um, and how that brought people together. And then think about how this uh, rela relates in terms of social media. Uh, virtual social capital uh, versus social media, uh, via social media, using social media, allows uh, for um, bigger connections, broader connections, but it argues that the quality and um, there is no quality and strength to those connections. Um, do people tend to act differently online than they do in person? And how might that affect social capital in this sense? Uh, in my mind, there could easily be this false sense of connectedness through virtual social capital. But at the end of the day, uh, do those connections hold any weight or is it easier to let them fall short with little to substantiate them? I think social, virtual social capital has the potential to extend for broader connections, but it definitely takes intentionality to strengthen those relationships and give them some sort of weight. Yes, and I also don't think this uh, would be a surprise to many that television um, has changed the way people use their free time as well. It is found that TV watching does not go hand in hand with volunteering, staying in touch with friends and relatives, and church going. Ultimately, watching TV competes for that scarce time that people have that could be used um, for things um, that have psychological effects that inhibit social participation. Uh, the programmatic um, content of TV also tends to undermine civic motivations. And finally, uh, a summarizing point that was somewhat related to almost all of these key aspects that we discussed, um, we want to elaborate more on the age generational differences and social capital. It can be easy to say that the younger generations are changing the way that community looks and acts, um, but Putnam um, scores the data to gain a clearer picture of the nuances in community engagement. Overall, um, there have been declines in civic participation since the 1970s. 
the percentage of time one spends in the community on average has decreased from 7% in, in 1965 to 3% in 1995. Think about your own life and what percentage of your time is attributed to civic duties. In scratching the surface, one may say that the cause of the decline in civic engagement by stating that it's the fault of Generation X, which is from 65 to 80. Uh, but what about baby boomers who were born from 1946 to 1964, or even Generation Y, which is born from 1980 to 2000? Um, seemingly, this decline in civic engagement is occurring with increases in depression and suicide. Putnam re references Durkheim in social connectedness. Durkheim was a sociologist who observed in the 1890s that suicides can result if individuals do not feel a sense of belonging or lack a feeling of connectedness to others. He also called it uh, the term excessive individualization. Uh, but generational differences are attributing to church attendance, voting, political interest, campaign activities, association membership, and social trust. And then Putnam continues to summarize that generational change the TV generation, television itself, work, and sprawl contribute to the decline in civic engagement. He mentions that the benefits of social capital include the following. Number one, allows citizens to resolve collective problems easily. Number two, greases the wheels that allow communities to advance smoothly. Number three, increases awareness of the various ways our fates are tied. And number four, operates through psychological and biological processes to improve individuals' lives. And our final thoughts on the book Bowling Alone. Putnam gives readers his suggestions in addressing the decline in civic engagement within the setting of youth and schools, the workplace, urban and metropolitan design, religion, arts and culture, and politics and government. For me, reading Bowling Alone has forced me to be more introspective into my motivations for, for how I choose to spend my time and what personal obligations I have. Part of me feels that this book serves as a reality check and has prompted me to do some reevaluation of some of my lifestyle decisions. Uh, while the concept of social capital may or may not be considered a hot topic uh, for today, it is undeniable that social capital and civic engagement are foundational to our society, and they have shifted greatly in the last 50 or more years. It is appropriate for all of us to put on the brakes to reconsider some of these unconscious shifts and to make conscious decisions about social capital and your own future. And the final tips from us, engage in social activities, Create trustworthy, pure relationships with peers, your communities. Be engaged in your communities in different ways. Charitableness, volunteering, and just speaking to your neighbors. And finally, never bowl alone. Thank you everyone for listening. We have very much enjoyed our time discussing the book today and we hope you enjoyed listening.